to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Frequently, we recite our books of the Old Testament, don't we? And we know all the names of the books, right? I hope we know all the names of the books. But do we know how they all fit together? Do we all know how they fit together? Well, it's important that we know how they fit together because in order for us to understand the whole history of the Old Testament and to be able to learn from it, we need to know what the historical context is of the different books of the Old Testament. And so we, we learn at the very beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, as to where this book fits in. And there's some important events that surround Isaiah. Now, we think of Isaiah, and I don't know what you all think about. Last week we talked about some of the major themes in the book. Um, there's lots in this book, both in history and in preaching and in prophecy. And this morning, we're going to learn about some of the history surrounding Isaiah, as well as one of the most famous events in the Old Testament, as well as the famous event in the life of Isaiah. And so if we look up here at our screen, can we get that turned on, please, Ethan? We see our timeline, all right? Isaiah is not during this time, is he? Yeah, is he? Nope, he's not during this time. So we move on, and we have the kingdom divided. And so we can see here, this is, oh, 980 B.C. going to 840 B.C. And Isaiah is not in this part of history either. He comes later. So we zoom for forward. And here we see Isaiah. And you can see, as it says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, that he was during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Well, we need to know who those guys all are and how they fit together. Last week, we learned a little bit about Uzziah, didn't we? Uzziah was a king who was famous as one who followed the Lord and did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I say that, and did any of you have any objections to that when I said that? Some of you had some objections. Why? Because you know more about Uzziah. But you do know that the Scriptures summarize him as, in general, one who did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uzziah was a godly king in spite of the rest of the history we know about him. Here is where we're going to be learning today. In the year that King Uzziah died. Well, who again was Uzziah? Uzziah was a king whose name means my strength is Jehovah, or Jehovah has helped. Uzziah and Azariah. He sought the Lord. God made him to prosper. His fame spread even to Egypt. But you remember we learned that his heart was lifted up when he was strong. And you remember he went into the temple offering incense, strange fire, a job reserved only for the priests. And as he was there, the Lord struck him with leprosy, a disease, and he went forth, he hastened out of that temple. And you know what? He was no longer able to serve in the full regal authority as king. He wasn't able to continue as king in its entirety. His son Jotham had to governor, became like a governor over the land, co-regent with his father. As his father lived in what was described as a several house, a place scattered out away from people. And he lived out there the rest of his days. And we don't know how long he lived that way. We know that Isaiah had quite a history of Uzziah. In fact, it tells us when it summarizes Uzziah's life that are not the, all his acts, first and last, recorded in the book of the Kings of the Chronicles? And of course, we know that book is out of print. It's lost. We don't have it of those day-to-day -day activities. But it also tells us that Uzziah was a unique king because more than just was he one who was recorded 
as in here I, in First and Second Chronicles, but also it tells us that Isaiah wrote of his history. Now, we know a little bit of his history that Isaiah wrote because that's in, I believe, Isaiah chapter 1 through 5. And there's a transition at chapter 5, but it's implied that there was a lot more detail that Isaiah had recorded about King Uzziah. King Uzziah was a great king. He was a prosperous king. He was building Jerusalem. He was building cities and towers and vineyards, and his wealth and prosperity was spreading across the kingdom. And in spite of all of that, he sinned against God, and he was judged with a terrible disease, and his son was ruling as governor. But then something happened. King Uzziah died. So going back to our timeline. In the year that King Uzziah died, here is perhaps where the rebellion took place. Just a few years later, he died. And do you know what happened? Well, Look with me here in Isaiah chapter 6. And I need some helpers to come up. I need some seraphim. Now, do you guys know what seraphim are? Seraphim are angels. Now, I got some guys coming up, and you're going to say they're not angels. And you know what? They don't even look like the real seraphim. See, they've just got arms. Do you know how seraphim are described? Seraphim are described as magnificent angels. In fact, the, the descriptions in different parts of the Bible tries to describe them, and it seems that they're lost for words of comparison in trying to describe them. But there's one prominent feature about the real seraphim. These guys aren't real seraphim. But the real seraphim, there's one particular feature about them. And that is that they have wings. And not just two wings. They have six wings. So really, if you're trying to imagine the seraphim this morning, just imagine these creatures with six wings. And really all you would probably see would be the wings. Do you know why? Because it tells us that of these six wings, two of their wings covered their feet and two of their wings covered their face, and with two of their wings they did fly. The seraphim, these angels. But you know, these are the creatures that God has created that minister to him and are his messengers. But you know they also have a ministry of worship. And here we read in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Thank you. 
of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Here am I! Send me! Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Lord, how long? Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as the teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. I have been called to bring a message to Israel, a message of judgment. Thank you, gentlemen. The calling of Isaiah. You know there's a lot of things we can learn from this. Did you notice what the seraphim were most impressed about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy. God is glorious. And the seraphim who are there standing or flying, hovering before the very throne of God, the throne high and lifted up, they observe that he is holy. Can I tell you something? Though we don't have the experience of this vision that Isaiah had, we too need to be impressed with God's holiness. Did you know it will change our perspective of life? You see Isaiah's response here. Isaiah's response is, whoa, whoa, whoa is me. When he beheld the Lord in his glory and in his holiness, it amplified the wretchedness that he was. For he cried that I, I am undone. I am one with unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. Now, as we keep on going through this narrative, and again, we're going to set Isaiah in his historical context. We're going to see just how big of a deal that was. Notice that he doesn't just blame the people around him. He himself recognizes his own undoneness, his own sinfulness, his own uncleanness before the Lord, knowing he needs to be cleansed, he needs to be purged. And in that vision, one of those seraphims comes to him with a live coal. Now, where Isaiah was when this vision took place, I'm not sure. I imagine he was in the temple. And that in that temple, he saw this vision of the throne of God, the King Supreme, lifted up. And in that vision, one of the seraphims brought him a coal. It says a live coal. And this is one reason why I know it was a vision. This live coal was brought to him and put on his lips. How many of you would like to have one of those come and put on your tongue? Oh. Wouldn't like that. But you see, what is this? It's a symbol, it's a picture of the refining and the cleansing. You might say, it sounds like burning to me. Well, yes. But often in Scripture, fire is used to describe purifying. And that is the picture here of the purifying of Isaiah. And in particular, this man who's going to go forth with a message for the nation of Israel. Did you know that each one of us need to recognize that we are undone? That we are a people of unclean lips? It's interesting that that's the one thing chosen because it's probably, no matter how well you and I can control ourselves, we make mistakes and sins with this, don't we? It's hard to control this one. Called out. So, how are we cleansed? We have to recognize that we're too undone. We need to be cleansed. As we look through Scripture, we find out that we can be made clean and we can be made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and He's the one who can wash us clean from our sins. So that though we may feel undone, we may have a boldness not only to go forth in this world with the message of Christ and his gospel and his hope, living day by day in that hope, but also we have the privilege to enter into the very presence, the holy presence of God, described in Hebrews as a throne of grace. Oh, I've, I've tried to decorate the stage here to illustrate the throne lifted up. Oh, how pitiful it is compared to what it is and what the majesty and glory of that vision was that Isaiah saw. Oh, 
in God is holiness, but in that holiness is the supreme glory of all the earth. The, the whole earth could not contain his glory. The heavens cannot contain his glory. The heaven of heavens cannot contain his glory. He is the creator. He is supreme. He is king over all. Isaiah saw that. Did you know that we need to live in that reality even though our physical eyes can't see it the same way Isaiah may have seen it that day? That our God is holy. Our God is full of glory. And you know what? He commands us to be holy. And you say, uh, uh, holiness means to be set apart. Holiness means to be separate from. And God is holy and he is separate from everything for he is the creator of everything. How can I be holy? Well, let me tell you what else it says in 1 Peter. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. <gasps> How can that be? Well, the way that is, is that when we have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy One moves inside of us and lives in us. He sets us apart. And when He sets us apart, we can then go forth living holy lives through the Spirit of God living in us. But do we let the Spirit of God live in us? Oh, holiness is an important matter. You see, here in the days of Isaiah, we're going to find out as we turn over to the historical passages, the historical passages and find out that uh, Uzziah has died and his son has become king. And it tells us as soon as it describes to us that he has become king, it says that the people did yet corruptly. The nation of Israel at this time in Judah and Israel is filled with debauchery. It's just gross immorality, horrific idolatry. As we continue on, some things we're going to learn about today will cause your ears to tingle as a nation, as a people are corrupted. Isaiah knew that. And instead of lifting himself up in holiness, and I'm better than them, and in a sense, he was a prophet. Of course, he was better than them, but he wasn't. He recognized that he himself was a sinner and needed forgiveness of God and needed the mercy of God, and he received it. And then he was able to be that one who was able to go forth out to that corrupt nation, the corrupt people. Do we recognize, woe is me, and have we received the forgiveness of sins, the washing of the blood of Jesus, and the holiness of God. To then go forth, even though we live in a nation of perverse lips, as Isaiah describes it here, and as Second Chronicles describes it, of people who lived corruptly, holy, set apart to God. Did you see what else Isaiah said there? The Lord asked a question. Did you hear the question? What was that question? What was that question? Do you have your Bibles? Look, look there. What is that question in verse 8? What's the Lord say? Whom? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And did you see Isaiah's reply? He says, here am I. Send me. Now, how many of us are like that? He, he's all, it's, send me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Here am I. Send me. Now, let me give you some framework here. Isaiah had no idea what God wanted him to do. Did you notice that? The question is, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what's Isaiah's response? Here am I. Here am I. Send me. You know, I think we all need to be like Isaiah and be eager to be used of God. But you know, I think it's more than just God. We have lots of little children here, don't we? How many of you get up in the morning and even without mom or dad telling you to do anything, you have this attitude? 
use me, use me. Let me do the jobs. Let me do the chores. Here am I. Send me. You might say, well, that's different. That's parents, not God. Or is it? You know, one reason why it's parenting, moms and dads, is so important is because you have the privilege, I have the privilege as a parent to begin teaching my children so many things that are important. And my relationship as father and child is an illustration of the greater relationship between them and their heavenly father. And there's a parallel there of an eagerness to be obedient on the part of the child. Now, we as moms and dads need to be this way when it comes to our heavenly father, ready, eager, cheerful to serve God. And we need our children to be, even in the home, cheerful and ready to do what mom and dad want them to do and practice to do what God wants you to do. So, boys and girls, are you in the morning with mom and dad? Here am I. Pick me to do all the work. Isaiah he says, here am I, send me. We need to have that attitude throughout our lives in everything that God has asked us to do. And, and, you, and you might say, well, chores, is that serving God? Yeah. In fact, there are many things that are basic, normal things of life that we need to be doing as unto the Lord. In fact, it says in the New Testament that whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. There's another scripture that tells us about doing things heartily as unto the Lord. What's heartily mean? With our heart, our whole heart. That attitude of here am I, here am I, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to heartily do it, not to my spouse, not to my boss, not to my brother or sister, not to my parents, but as unto the Lord. Here am I. Use me. Let me be the one who serves. Even before we're called upon on what the specific tasks are, this is a frame of mind that Isaiah had. This is a frame of mind that all of us need to have. Well, looking there in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he says that he lives in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Take your harmony and go to section uh, 64 or turn with me to 2 Chronicles 27. 2 Chronicles 27. There's a little bit of detail given to us over in 2 Kings, but the most complete record is in 2 Chronicles chapter 27. For it tells us here that it was in the reign of, or it was upon the death of King Uzziah. Well, at the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 26, in verse 22, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belongeth to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. And Jotham his son reigned in his stead. If you look back up at verse 21, you find out that for some time Jotham has already been judging the people. Now he is full king. Oh, let's go to our timeline here. We'll have to. Here you can see Uzziah, and then you see Jotham. You see Jotham there? Well, it tells us in 2 Kings that it was in the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, that began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. And Jotham was twenty and five years old when he began to reign. So, to give you a perspective of how old he was, that's like, um, let's see, Ethan and Joel's age, right? You guys are 25? 
Is anybody else here 25? 25 he was when he began to reign. And it says he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And then it gives us the name of his mother, Jerusha. Now, I often find it interesting when the Holy Spirit decides to inspire and to preserve in his holy word, in record, the names of the mothers. It's not always there, but sometimes it's there. And I often wonder why. Sometimes it's there because the husband had more than one wife and it needed to be clarified whose wife it was, of the son was. But there's no evidence that Uzziah had more than one wife. But his mother's name is mentioned. I find that fascinating. And do you know why I find it fascinating? It's because of what immediately follows. It tells us who his mother is, and then it says that he, Jotham, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. He did that which was right, not in his own eyes, but in the sight of the Lord, just like his dad. And you might be saying, hmm, that doesn't sound very good. His dad died a leper being judged by God. Yeah, his father did. So let's keep reading as the record is more complete here in 2 Chronicles telling us, albeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord. He was not disobedient in that way. Which is interesting because Uzziah, we, we seem to be judging him very intently for his sin. And, and in a sense, it's right to acknowledge this great sin of Uzziah. God judged him. But I wonder, especially as I think of Isaiah and the prophecies that Isaiah had made in chapters 1 through 5, and that vineyard song and that warning of judgment that was given there, if that happened before Uzziah entered into the temple, it makes it a whole lot more clear why God judged him so immediately and harshly in that time. For he had great light. He knew better. He knew better. And the accountability was held to very high standards. Although, keep in mind, he was worthy of death. Previously in history, remember the guys named Nadab and Abihu who came in to offer strange fire, who actually had the right to do it. They just decided they were going to do it their way. When they did it, they were struck dead by lightning fire that came out from the presence of God and consumed them. Uzziah here in this case has shown mercy and that he's simply struck with a terrible disease, but nonetheless, it's a terrible disease. And so here we have Jotham. He is doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord. But look at the end of verse 2. And the people did yet corruptly. The situation in this nation was not good. And I'm going to give you a little heads up. Jotham has a son whose name is Ahaz. And when it says here that the people did yet corruptly, that includes Ahaz, Jotham's own son. And we're going to learn more about him later. But here we have... Jotham, who is one who is doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord, in spite of what is going on with the people. The people, it tells us in 2 Kings, still had the high places that were not removed, and the people sacrificed and burned incense still in the high places. But in spite of that, the nation was still prosperous. Jotham was a builder, just like his dad. Remember, his dad built, rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, built up the fortresses of Jerusalem, built towers throughout, fortresses throughout the land and even in the deserts. Well, Jotham continued that, it tells us in verse 3. He built the high gate of the house of the Lord. He beautified the temple itself. And on the wall of Orphel, he built much. You see, this is a, the fortress that was near the temple there in Jerusalem that was built in Jerusalem. And here we have Jotham building up this fortress in Jerusalem. 
And moreover, it tells us in verse 4, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and the forest. He built castles and towers. He's fortifying the land and the nation. If you know your history, as time goes by, it was to no avail. You see, in some ways, he had great prosperity and was able to do this. But he did have an adversary. Remember the Ammonites? The Ammonites are those who are on the other side of the Jordan River. And the Ammonites were causing a lot of trouble for Jotham. And it tells us in verse 5 that he fought also with the king of the Ammonites and prevailed against them. That means he won. He won. And then it tells us that the children of Ammon gave him tribute. And it goes through and gives a detail of this tribute. Now, what does that mean? That means that the nation of Ammon was now subject to Judah, the nation of Judah. And they bring tribute. And look here at what this tribute is. For it says that he gave him the same year a hundred talents of silver. Now, we have a hard time understanding talents. This is 3.75 tons of silver. That's a lot of silver. That's 7,500 pounds of silver. If you were to go buy that at spot price as of this morning, it cost you $2.7 million. And so this silver is delivered to the nation of Judah. A hundred talents of silver. And then it says, and 10,000 measures of wheat and 10,000 of barley. Now, you all know what wheat is, right? The little kernels here on the wheat plant, as well as barley. Well, I have here some barley. I used to think barley was something special and different from, you, from wheat, but um, it's about the same, isn't it? You guys ever seen barley? You want to pass that around? Well, it tells us here that he gave him um, 10,000 measures of wheat. Now, here we have a measure. This isn't, a partic- this isn't the particular measure that they had. This is what we call a bushel. So when it tells us here that there were 10,000 measures of wheat, that equates in our bushels to 62,000 bushels of wheat and 62,000 bushels of barley. Now, that's a lot. Imagine we took this room and started filling it full of bushels full of wheat and bushels full of barley. You know, that would take us um, a long time to do. And you know what? It would be a lot. You know how much room it would take? Well, let me show you another picture here. Just to carry the wheat, we would need 64 40-foot containers. Now, I'm not sure. We about, what are we, about 30 feet, 40 feet here? Is this about 40 feet from wall to wall? So we could start stacking them. And how, how, tall, is a, how tall is a container? 10 feet? Yeah. 64 of them. Well, that's a long train. That's a big barge ship to carry just the wheat and, and then the barley. This is a lot. This is what the Ammonites sent to the children of Judah, and they paid it as tribute in the very year that they lost. But you know what it says? That it wasn't only in the first year, both in the second year and the third year. They did this every year. The tributes of the nation of Ammon. And look at verse 6. Verse 6 is interesting. So Jotham became mighty. Does that remind you of his dad? It does me. His dad became mighty. His dad, Uzziah, became great. And do you remember the description of his dad when it said that his dad became great? and mighty 
Well, if you look back in chapter 26, verse 16, it gives us a description of his dad. For it tells us then that when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his, to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Will Jotham do the same? Power corrupts. Now Jotham, he is mighty. He is strong. He's become mighty. Let's look at the rest of this verse. It says, so Jotham became mighty because he prepared his way before the Lord his God. You know what? Do we do that? He prepared his ways. We talk about walking through life, right? Do we walk in the Spirit? That's the question for us. Do we prepare our ways before the Lord our God? When we sit down and we plan out our day, when we plan out our week, our month, our lives, when we plan our work, when we plan our vacations, when we plan our play, when we play, plan our adventures, do we plan them and prepare our ways, how? Before the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. You see, this is why Jotham didn't follow in the failures of his father, King Uzziah. His father became great and strong and mighty, and he lifted himself up to his destruction. Jotham learned from his dad. In fact, it reminds me of what's said in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 14, of a wicked man who begets a son. And it tells us there, Now, lo, if he beget a son, that seeth all his father's sins which he hath done, and considereth, and doeth not such like. God says, This son will experience mercy. So often kids blame mom and dad for their problems or they use it as excuses to do what they want to do and to do their own sins. The whole chapter of Ezekiel 18 says this isn't so. This isn't so. No, it's not about your parents or your children that fail your and do wrong or right. It's about you, you and I. We individually have responsibilities before God, and are we using that to walk in His Spirit and to prepare our ways, our lives, our days as before the Holy One the great one, the creator, our God in Israel. Not much else is known of Jotham, for it tells us right off here in verse 7, now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And you know what's fascinating about this is that he reigned for 16 years, and when we turn to Isaiah, even though it says that Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied during the reign of Jotham, there's no mention of Jotham. In fact, chapter 6 says in the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah has this vision. But the next time we actually see Isaiah prophesying in chapter 7, it's 16 years later, 16 years later in the reign of Ahaz. For here it tells us that Jotham, he was 5 and 20 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. So we have now Ahaz. So the vision took place here between the year that King Uzziah died. And now 16 years have gone by, and we have Ahaz becoming king. Now you will think, he will be a good king, right? His dad was a good king. I already told you, didn't I? Ahab was like the people who did yet corruptly. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he too reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. 
No. In fact, let me introduce you to Ahaz. Thus far in history, the worst, the most evil king of Judah. He did not do that, which was right in the eyes of the Lord. For he, it tells us, you see there, in 2 Chronicles 28, verse 2, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Remember, of all the kings in Israel, none of them are righteous. None of them were good. And now Ahaz is following in their ways. Did you see here the ways here? The ways? He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. How did... Jotham walk. Do you see the ways here and the contrast? Jotham prepared his ways before the Lord. His son Ahaz walked in his ways. It's interesting, the contrast of the word prepare and walking. You know, oftentimes in seeking and following the Lord, it needs to be intentional. We don't just go through the motions of life. How often do we just get up and go through the motions day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and we're like, what happened to my life? We need to prepare our way before the Lord. What Ahaz did is he just walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, the wicked kings, bringing about their idolatry. Moreover, He made also molten images for Balaam. What's implied here of the kings of Israel is that he served the golden calves that Jeroboam I had made. And on top of that, he worships the molten images, the idols of Balaam. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? Baal? But you know, he was even... For it says, moreover... He burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He worshiped the false god Molech not only just burning incense, you know, just burning tree root or tree sap or tree bark. He burned his own children to this idol. What's strange about it, too, is that Ahaz, if you do the chronology, you know how old he was when he had his firstborn son? Well, we don't know if it was his firstborn son, but the son who became king after him, he was only 14 years old. Now, something tells me, yes, I know there's different cultures and different ages for getting married, but something tells me we have a very perverse and wicked man here who's been that way from a teenager. And also, he has no regard for human life. For he sacrifices his own children to Moloch. This is an artist's depiction of that idol. Horrific, hollow, monstrous of an image filled with fire and heated up. And the people would worship they would have musicians who would play driving and loud music. Do you know why? To drown out the screams of the babies who were being burned alive to this idol. I don't even want to see that. This is, this is Ahaz. This is a king of Israel. This is a king of the line of David. He says it burnt his own children in the fire. Oh, we look at this with horror, and so we should. 
But you know, even our own society, children are sacrificed every day. We call it abortion when we should call it murder. And in some cases, we should call it human sacrifice. That's not all he did. Verse 4, he sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Everywhere he went, he made an idol. Everything he did, he worshipped pagan idols. Well, God is about to intervene. And it's not recorded in Kings nor in Chronicles. Well, in fact, in 2 Kings chapter 16, it tells us that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz. And you know what? In the midst of that siege... There's a record that we won't find in 2 Kings, and there's a record we won't find in 2 Chronicles. We have to turn to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. And what does Isaiah, who saw the Lord in his holiness, bring to King Ahaz? Well, you're going to have to go home and read it. Isaiah chapter 7, and come back next week as we follow on and hear this message that God gives to Ahaz, this wicked, wicked king. And so this morning as we wrap up, let's think back to that vision of Abraham. God is holy. Let us prepare our ways to be holy as he is holy. To walk in his spirit, forgiven and washed clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that? We sure can. Will you? Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you this morning. Give thanks that you have forgiven us, that you have washed our sins away, that you have indwelt us. May we day by day be filled with you, allowing you to use us, allowing you to live your life through us. And in all this, may you be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.